askew, and we just come before the Lord longing for Him to show Himself from His Word and His body today. And um, we, you know, we a lot of times have good problems in our lives. Uh, we as a church have had a good problem as we continue to grow. Man, that's been exciting. It's just been cool to see God bring in new people in um, pretty much every Sunday. Uh, but then we say, how do we direct that growth? And uh, one small step that I want to put before you today to meet this good challenge or good problem is um, if you are one, you're here in the 1045, uh, we also have a service at 9 a.m. in the morning. And there's a lot more elbow room in that service. Uh, the coffee is hotter. Uh, I'm just more on my game. Like, by this point, I'm kind of grumpy and blah. Like, I'm really, like, varsity-level sermon first hour. So you want to check that out. Uh, but no, seriously, we, we do, I mean, totally understand. We're a young church, a lot of young families. Nine o'clock, you're like, but by the grace of God, we're even here at 1045, bro, right? So I get that, and that's totally fine. There is no screen. Uh, you can follow along. would invite you to do that. Um, we're looking at verses, the first ten verses of chapter two this morning in a message called Grace Alone, Grace Alone. So when I was about five or six years old, uh, we were visiting our extended family down in Ohio at a pool party at my cousin's friend's house. And uh, my mom had told me that she wanted me to stay in the shallow end of the pool uh, with my floaties on. Mom, I'm a big boy. I don't need those stinking floaties, stinking shallow end stinking mom. So I ventured slowly out of the designated territory. And you know how those, the, the, those uh, pools a lot of times just have a gradual downward slope toward the deep end. So I was like, everything's good. And I'm just kind of bopping along on my tiptoes. But I'm going farther and farther out until it was bloop, bloop, bloop. And I am completely under the water. Important point to bring up here. I had no idea how to swim. Right? I'm an Alaskan. We don't have pools up here. We didn't, the Kiski pool wasn't built yet. I didn't know what I was doing. I start flailing around. My mom, my stinking mom was stinking right. I should have been in the shallow end with my stinking floaties. I was, all I had was my little fingertips south. Don't worry. He's totally got your back. Right? He can save you too. And all that was left for me to do was just boast in the kindness of my cousin. But, you know, at, at times going forward, I would doubt my cousin if he liked me and loved me. He was fine. Five years older than me, a lot more athletic, cooler than me. He was already getting some hair on his chest, you know. Like, I just didn't, I was like, does he even want to be around me? And if I ever doubted his love for me, I just looked back at that pool party and remembered his rescue and clung to the truth that my cousin loves me, this I know, for the pool party rescue tells me so, right? And this morning we want to look at Ephesians chapter 2, and as I was spending time with this passage this week, I just, I was thinking about my story at the pool party, and that really in a lot of ways that maps on to the story of my life, um, and, and I don't know if, if you're like me, anybody here ever wished that you had a cooler testimony? Like, you're like, man, mine stinks. Like, I, I remember we, I would cook Inlet Academy. We'd have people come in at chapel time and be like, I was a criminal drug addict in a biker gang and, like, flipped my Harley on the way to murder someone and was in a coma for a month, and I don't know why I talk like this, but... <laughs> angel of the Lord like came to me on my deathbed and just said repent and receive Jesus and so I did and then I moved to Zimbabwe and saved thousands of souls and now I'm here at Cook and Lynn Academy's chapel speaking to you and I was just like wow that's such a cool story 
like my story was like, uh, so I am a pastor's kid. <laughs> I used to play Nintendo. <laughs> I was rescued from a pool once. <laughs> Six years old. I realized I have. I, I don't know how much longer I had to live. Right. I was, so I was in the, my story, I was in the back of my mom and dad's station wagon at the drive-through bank, and I piped up like, "Mom, could you help me ask Jesus into my heart?" And so she did, and, that, and I got saved. <laughs> I was doing hard drugs in the back seat. I, totally, yeah, totally. But uh, I was like, "That's not a cool story, right? That story's awful." Uh, but but here is what Paul wants to tell us in Ephesians chapter two: horse feathers. It's my old, yeah. Uh, here is my story from God's point of view, and actually the story of every believer in Jesus, that I too actually was dead. I was on my deathbed, and I was a guilty sinner doomed under the wrath of God. But in his infinite kindness, he miraculously brought me back to life through the power of the risen Jesus. And now this former rebel is a child of the king and gets to rule with Jesus in this universe now and forever. Like that's actually, that's a pretty cool testimony. And that's you as the others were also. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in the trespasses. You are saved by grace. Hallelujah. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. This is God's word. Amen. Have a seat. This is in the Greek. It's one run-on sentence. We crown Paul the king of the run-on, right? An English teacher's worst nightmare. So many commas with Paul. So many commas. But the, the central truth, and literally in the middle of this passage, it says you are saved by grace. And what I see is, I think that's the central point that Paul is trying to make in this passage. Simply that God's grace alone makes the dead alive with Christ. That's our truth here. And, and like when Brandon saved me from the drowning in the pool by his kindness alone, Paul wants to underline in these ten verses that God saved us from his wrath, that he saved us from death by his kindness alone, that we didn't earn it, and there's nothing we can do to pay him back. It's all from him, it's all through him, and therefore it's all to him forever and ever. Amen. And there are three things that I think we can glean from this passage this morning. That it's by his grace alone, and why it, had, why it can't be us, and why it has to be him, and why that matters. Why, why that matters. So let's look at those three points together. First of all, why it can't be us. So as I said, the reason I was drowning uh, was because of my own disobedience, right? Um, that that I, my status was a, was a dead, in other words, you're dead in your sin. Uh, you, you're not in a relationship with God. Remember Adam and Eve when they ate of the tree in the garden? What did God say? The day you eat of that fruit, you'll die. Well, Adam and Eve lived for like 900 more years. So is God lying? Did he back off of that? No. Like in that moment, 
sinful man was disconnected in relationship from a holy God. And Paul says this is our status before we were rescued by Jesus. We were dead. We were not in relationship with God. Well, why are we in that position? He says, well, look at our practice. Verse 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air. That's a description of the devil or Satan. The spirit now working in the disobedient. So why does he say we were separated? Well, we were walking on a different path than God. We were walking on the path of darkness heading to death, not the path where God is. In him there is light. There is no sin in him. So we were separate. We were on the path of the spiritually dead. We were following, it says, the ways of this world and the devil himself. Now, we've got to be careful here because we can easily, we can like blame shift like the world and the devil, right? They're the problem, not me. And this was a, a, the mindset of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. That they said, if we just continue to keep our hands clean, keep our cups clean, then we can stay clean as, as God's people. But Jesus had some pretty strong words for them with a mindset that says, if I just refrain from those who drink, chew, or do, no, don't drink, smoke or chew or hang out with girls that do. That was their, that was their description. Or these, uh, these gals right here. How about these lovely batch of ladies? Lips that touch liquor shall not touch ours. There you go. All right. So what do these guys say? We've got to avoid liquor and the men that are drinking it, right? The, the, the problem's out there. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. The problem is actually much deeper than that. And he says to the Pharisees, for from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, idolatry, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander, these are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Jesus is telling them the problem isn't just the things out here. The problem actually stems not from the dirt I might get on the cup or my hands, but the dirty heart that beats within my own chest. He calls it here the spirit of those. The reason we do the things that we do is because of who we are. So, I'm a Frankino. As such, I'm an Italian who naturally talks with my hands and talks a lot. So my hands are constantly moving. Now, last week, if you were here at our baby dedication, uh, Lucy was up here uh, on, on the stage, and there was no doubt whose daughter she was, Jill. <clears throat> she uh, constantly was bouncing up and down, making noise the entire dedication, and flailing her hands, right? That's my girl, right? She, so what, she gets that from me, right? Like the father-son tandem. And no one had to teach me. I didn't have to go to like a hand-moving seminar. No one had to teach me to talk a lot. That is who I am. Therefore, this is what we do as a, as a family. In other words, I can say it this way. I do what I do because I am what I am. I do what I do because I am what I am. Or, or to say it spiritually, I am, I sin the reason I do sinful things is because I am a sinful person. Just like an orange tree will always bear oranges. It's a bad example for Alaska. An orange tree here would just die, right? But normal places, uh, orange tree would produce oranges. And so, and here's why this is important. Because what we're saying here is sinners can only, can only sin. That's the only thing we're capable of. Now, that doesn't mean that the sinner is always doing, like, the worst thing imaginable. That means the sinners just spent all their weekend, like, looting and murdering people. Like, that's not, there's, that's not the point. What we are saying, though, is that everything we do, absolutely everything we do outside of Christ is tainted by sin. Like, even when we do good things. 
go to church or help somebody out. They're, they're still tainted by selfish motive. Like at the core, at the core, there is selfishness and insecurity and things, self-absorption bound up in every single thought, every action from our lives. And the reason this is so important is because if, it, if the problem is just what I do, then I can just change what I do, right? I can just tweak a few things. Go to church more. Read the Bible more. Cuss less. Greater enemy is our own heart. Like it's our own sinful nature that one day we're going to stand before God. And he says the main problem is that we were by nature children who would absorb the wrath of God because of our sin. And so to put a fine point on it, brothers and sisters, the main problem is not a drag queen in the park. It is our own sinful heart. And until we see the depth of our own sin, until we see how dead we really are apart from Christ, we are not going to rejoice in how great his grace is toward us. That we are not going to cry out for rescue and fully depend on him. In the words of the great theologian Billy Crystal, there's a big difference between being mostly dead and all dead. He says, if you're mostly dead, you're slightly alive. If you're all dead, he says, there's only one thing to do, right? Go through the pockets and look for loose change, right? We are not, we were not mostly dead. We were all dead. And I don't, we don't just need a moral tune-up, just do a little bit better. We needed resurrection. And so why can't it be us? Because what can dead people do? We can only be dead. We can only be separate from God. We can only sin. But then we look at the good news, why it has to be him. We see why it can't be us, but here's why it has to be him. I was drowning because of my disobedient walk to the deep end of the pool. But my cousin Brandon, rich in mercy, because of his great cousin love that he had for me, rescued me. And this is the same turn that Paul takes here. He says, but God, but God. And I had some really funny butt jokes, and my wife filtered them all out. You can thank her. <laughs> I'm going to get in a lot less trouble in my own disobedient walk. Uh, we, we were walking in disobedience by nature. We were under the wrath of God. We were dead men and women walking. We could not rescue ourselves. We had no hope but God. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us convinced that you're going to treat your kids just like you were parented and there's no way out of it and it's not pretty. We're saying, God, God can't love me that much. Paul says the reason that God moved towards you, his motive was not your innocence. It wasn't your obedience it wasn't your loyalty to him. It wasn't that you, you had a good moral report card. He says here, no, it's because he is rich in mercy. That word mercy means a desire to help the helpless. And we are the helpless. He says it's because of the great love that he has for us. That's the agape love there. That's the unconditional. We didn't, it was no condition of ours that, that earned his, bought his love uh, from him. He did this not for the innocent, but for the guilty, for the disobedient rebel, not, not the teacher's pet, 
Uh, Romans 5 says, Our friendship with God was restored. How? By the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, while we were still rebelling and actively working against him in our disobedient heart. Jesus died for us. Titus 3 says, He saved us. Why? Not because of the righteous things we've done. Not conditioned, but because of his mercy. Can I get a witness from the congregation? Our only hope, our only hope, we could not earn it. If God is not a God of mercy and love, we are still drowning in the pool. Because because of the motive that was needed. And then the second thing is because of the needed means. Like what we needed was resurrection power. Just like my cousin who pulled me from the flood waters, the death of that pool, made me alive together again, raised me up and seated me on the warm summer concrete there at the poolside. This is what God did. It says, verse 5, God made us alive with Christ even though we were dead. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens. And God exercised this power in Christ by raising Christ from the dead and seating Christ at his right hand in the heavens. So where is Jesus? He is right now alive, seated at the right hand of his Father. That's a cool place to be, is it not? And here's what he says is true of us in Ephesians chapter 2. He also raised us up with him. And he also seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Where is Jesus? That's where we are too. It says this, this word seated, it, it's, a, it's a king word. That when a king would, would win a war and establish victory over a land, he would sit down on the throne because it was done. The battle was fought and it was over. He'd prop his feet up. And it was done. Jesus fought the world, the flesh, and the devil on our behalf, and the battle is over. It's finished. Jesus now lives and Jesus reigns. And therefore, with Christ, we live and we reign with him now and forever. So how is this relevant for us today? Well, maybe you've had the thoughts. Maybe you are having the thoughts currently. Man, I am too damaged. I am too dirty. I am too sinful for God to love me. One of the tactics that Satan loves to use is he loves to change the verb tenses here. Notice how Paul said, you were dead in your sin. You were by nature children under the wrath of God. And what Satan loves to do is he loves to switch that were to an are, or really an am in the first person. I am still under God's wrath. I am not accepted. That I am still caught and just trapped in my sin. And Satan, that's the only tactic he has left is lies because Jesus beat him at the cross. But he whispers this into our ears. This is still who you are. And the core, if you're a believer in the room today, one of the main reasons, that really at the core of all of the, our struggle, our bondage that we still experience to sin is our failure to understand our new identity in Christ and that we are living as though we still are what we once were. That's why we sing the song, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end to all my sin. And that's where I'm seated right now, with Jesus at God's right hand. You say, Justin, even as a Christian, you don't understand, like even as a Christian, I still do some pretty terrible things. I still say some pretty terrible things. I desire some pretty terrible things still. God should not love me. God should not accept me. 
look at me. You're right. Like, he shouldn't. God actually wouldn't be a good God, a just God, if he left any single one of those empty tomb. And we see a risen Jesus, and we see the only solution to our death was not some behavior changing, but it was resurrection life. And Jesus rose me, raised me up with him from the dead, and now I have new desires. I've got the ability to do what God has called me to do. The reason it had to be God was because we couldn't earn it. It had to be motivated by his own love. And a dead person cannot bring themselves back to life. We needed his resurrection power. So the third thing, final thing, why does this matter? Why does it, why does it matter that it's God's grace alone? Three things that we see as a result in, in these last few verses. The first one is because it displays his kind grace. It displays his kind grace. I was, um, I was here at church one night after the Wednesday night ministries, and I was hanging out with Maya Zubek. She was like six years old at the time or so. And she came up to me, and she wanted to sh- show me how fast she could run. She said, Justin, watch how fast I can run from this end of the gym to that end of the gym. I said, go for it, Maya. So she runs so fast, I could barely keep up. And she turns around, she looks at me, completely deadpan. She goes, that is but a taste of my hyperspeed. You can't make... And then there's no other adult in the room to prove that. I swear she said that. I swear. And I'm just dying, right? But I, I look at this verse, and I thought about that as I'm reading this verse. that It says, so that. Here's why God saved us. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It says when he saved us by his grace, made us alive with Jesus, he says in the coming ages, I'm going to say that is but a taste of my grace and kindness. And for the rest of eternity, like our job is just going to simply be to lavish in and boast on the, the kindness of our God. And we've just tasted it. We have the coming ages to explore the depths of who our God is because it displays his kind grace. The second thing is because it ensures our own humility. You see that the famous verses in this being humbled by his grace is also then going to change our hearts so that we will extend that grace and kindness to the people around us, met by our kindness, not our condemnation. We're not walking around this world going, ha, you're way more dead than I was, right? You're, you're way worse at drowning. You're like this. And I was like drowning, like cool style, right? Like, we don't know. We were it's an even playing field. But if we believe that we have to earn God's favor by our performance, how are we going to start treating the people around us? They've got to earn our favor too by their performance. That I'll love you if you agree with my political stance. That I'll be kind to you as long as you do what I say you should do. That I'll love you as long as you first love me. And this is, a, this is especially important for those who disagree with us for those who don't like us. Jesus died for us while we were his enemies, not while we were handing him bouquets of flowers. And and this matters because that means, that means that the pro-choicer is no less condemned than I was. This means that the homeless man on the corner is no more hopeless than I was. This means that the transgender is no more in need of mercy and kindness than I was. God's gracious rescue humbles us before him 
And that should cause us to extend the kindness to others, especially those who are treating us like garbage, who annoy us. The very first person you don't want to be kind to is the very first person that we need to show kindness to. The last thing we see here is because it enables our purpose. It enables our purpose. He says at the end here, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Why did my cousin save me? Not just because he, he didn't want me dead. It was because he preferred me alive, right? He wanted a relationship with me. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance. So we're not saved by the works that we do, but we are saved for so that we can do good things. My cousin didn't save me because I earned his help. He's like watching me drown. He's like, Venmo me first, right? Then I'll, then I'll think about it. He didn't say, promise me your Nintendo and all of your games, right? Even Mario, and then I'll save you. No, he saved me because he loved me, not because of anything I had done. But then he saved me so that we can continue to play Nintendo together, continue to do good things together. God did not save us because we earned it, because we did a bunch of good stuff. He saved us so that, so that we could be who he created us to be in the first place and so that we could do the amazing things that he intended for us to do at the beginning. And and there are two ditches here that we can fall into. The first one is what we call legalism, which is this, this says, I'm saved by doing good works. That's that's ignoring verse 9. It says we're not saved from our works. We couldn't be, right? We were dead. But then the other side of it is license, which means I have a license to do whatever I want. That basically because I'm saved by faith, then works don't matter at all. And that's to ignore verse 10. We're not saved by them, but we are saved unto them. I love the way Dallas Willard says it. I've shared this before, but this is so clarifying for me. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. A lot of times we say, any works, legalist, right? Chill out. It is opposed to earning. Effort is an action. Earning is an attitude. This is God's created us to get after it. We're going to sweat, right? We're going to bleed. We're going to do things for Jesus. We're going to do things with Jesus. What he says, the, earn, the attitude of earning says, I've got to do this so God will love me or so God will continue to love me. He says, that's where we get into legalism. What are these good works that God has for us to do? Well, that's actually the second half of the book, chapters four through six. We're going to talk about these good things he's invited us into. But what we see here, the call here is just to simply boast in his kindness. Just like all was left for me was to tell the world, to be, to be thankful for my cousin and tell the world how amazing he was in his rescue. Our job, brothers and sisters, is to go into this world grateful for the free gift we have in Jesus as those who are now alive and not doing those things. That maybe today is a day for repentance and change and that by the grace of God in them, they can, they can start to make that change and live the way that you called us to live. Those of us who are not extending kindness and love and grace to those people around us that you've called us to do so. Today might be the day that you would start to work that change in their hearts. Give us eyes to see who we are in Christ, and may that change our lives, that we, trophies of your grace, might boast of your kindness in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and across the world for the glory of God and what could only be accomplished by his grace alone. It's in the name of our rock, our cornerstone, where our hope is built in nothing less than him alone, Jesus Christ. It's his name that we pray. Amen.
the darkness of tears. 